Chapter Twenty Five of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshaw and Thomas W. Hanshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five: The Web of Circumstance. For a few days there was no more overtime to be earned by Cleek or Dollops, so that they were free to spend their evening as they wished. And though the pig and whistle got its fair share of their time for the sake of appearances, there were long hours afterward between the last tattered remnants of the night and the day's dawning when they did a vast amount of exploration. That they made good use of this time was proved by the little notebook that rested in Cleek's pocket, and in which a rough chart of the country and the docks was drawn. Though there were still some blanks to be filled in, while opposite it was a rude outline of the secret passage into which they had blundered three nights before. Got to explore that hole from end to end, Dollops said. Cleek on the fourth evening, as they struck off together toward that gap in the hedge, soon after the clock in the village had chimed out ten. And the little bar of the pig and whistle was slowly emptying itself of its habitué. I've the main route fairly correct, I think, and a rough idea of where those sacks stood and where we took to cover when Black Whiskers was showing the master of this underworld domain through it. Happen to have learnt the chap's name yet? Dollops nodded. Yes, sir. Brent, it is Jonathan Brent, or so one of the men tells me. Says he's never seed him though. Nobody hardly ever does, from all accounts he give me. Old Black Whiskers and his silent-footed friend Borkins is the main ones. What does his work for him? Hmm. Well, that's something gleaned anyway. Of course, we may be able to find out who he really is, but the chances are small. Men like this chap don't go giving away anything more than they can help. They lie low and let their paid underlings stand the racket if it happens to come along. I know the type. I've come across it before. Well, here we are now for it. But this time I happen to have brought along a revolver. He crept through the hedge and, crouching behind it, ran to the spot where they had found the open trap door upon that memorable occasion three nights before. There was nothing to be seen. The ground presented an absolutely unbroken appearance so far as they could make out in the moon's rays. Clever devils! Snapped out Cleek in angry tribute. We'll have to use artificial light after all, but keep your torchlight on the ground. It won't do for anyone to spot us just now. For perhaps a moment or two, they explored the ground inch by inch. Crawling round in the long grass upon their hands and knees, until a little tuft of brown earth sticking up through a piece of turf like the upturned corner of a rug showed them what they were looking for. With infinite care, Cleek lifted up the square of turf and set it upon one side. The sight of the flat, dark surface of the trap door rewarded them. He ran his fingers along the two sides of it and discovered a bolt. Shot this, and then catching the iron ring once more in his hands, swung the top upward and laid it back upon the grass. 
a minute more found them once more in the cavernous, breathless depths. Cleek handed the torch to Dollops. "'You hold that while I do a bit of sketching,' he said, fidgeting in his coat pocket for his fountain pen. He then snapped open the flap of the notebook and began to sketch rapidly as they moved forward. Cleek was an adept in drawing to scale. The thing took shape as they continued their progress, keeping this time to the left instead of to the right. Cleek paced off the distance and stopped every now and then to check up results. The place was as silent as the grave. Obviously no one was about here upon these nights when there was no loading and unloading going on. In that, at least, chance had been a good friend to them. They were going to make the most of it. Through little runways narrower than the main route, and so low that they had to bend their necks to get along in safety, they went, measuring and examining. Every few yards or so they would come upon another little niche, stacked high with sacks of a similar hardness to those others back there at the beginning of their journey. Cleek prodded one with his finger, hesitated, then, slipping out a penknife, slit a fragment of the coarse sacking, and inserted his thumb. He pulled it out with a look of astonishment upon his face. "'Hello, hello!' he exclaimed. "'So that's it, is it? Gad, this is the approved hiding place. Then those tubings—' "'Dollops, just a little more of this wearisome search, just a few telephone calls to be made, and I believe I shall have untied at least one part of this strange riddle. And when that knot is unfastened, it will surely lead me to the rest. Go on, boy.' They went on, stepping carefully, and hesitating now and again to listen for any sound of alien footsteps but the place might have been the grave for any sign of human habitation that there was. They had it to themselves that night, and made the most of it. For some time they walked on, taking the road that most appealed to them, and in the maze must surely have retraced their own footsteps. Of a sudden, however, they broke into a sort of rough stone passage, with concrete floor that ran on for a few yards and ended at a flight of well-made stone steps, above which was a square of polished oak, worm-eaten, heavily carved, and surely not of this generation's make or structure. "'Now, what the dickens?' began Cleek, and stopped. Dollops surveyed it with his head on one side. "'Seems to me, sir,' he began after a pause, "'that this year's a genuine article. "'One of them old passages, "'what people like King Charles and Bloody Mary "'and a few other of them celebrities "'you sees at Madame Tussauds any day in the week "'used to hide in when things were a-getting too hot for em. "'That's what this is.' "'Your history's a bit rocky, but your ideas are all right.' "'returned Cleek with a little smile "'as he stood looking up at the square of black oak above them. "'I believe you're right, Dollops. 
It must have given the later arrivals a big start in that tunnelling business, or else they've been at it, or both. There must be years' work in this system of passageways. It is marvellous. But if it's a genuine old secret passage, those stairs will probably lead up into a house, and let's try em. If the house they lead into is the one I think it is, well, we'll be unravelling the rest of this riddle before the night is out. So saying, he fairly leapt up the little flight of stone stairs, and then let his fingers glide over the smooth, polished face of the oak door, pushing, probing, pressing it, a frown puckering his brows. "'If this is a genuine old secret hiding-place,' he remarked, "'then, according to all the rules of the game, "'there ought to be some sort of a spring this side to open it, "'so that the hidden man might be able to get out again when he wanted to. "'But where? <sighs> "'My fingers must be losing their cunning, and—ah, here it is. "'Bit of wood gives way here, Dollops. "'Just a gentle pressure, and—here we are.' And here they were indeed, for as he spoke, the door slid back into the flooring out of sight, and they found themselves looking up into a room which was lighted by a single gas-jet which barely illumined it, but which, when Cleek poked his head up above the flooring and took a casual survey of the place, proved to be no less a place than the back kitchen of Merriton Towers. He brought his head down again with a jerk, touched the spring in the edge of oak panelling at the left of him, and let the door swing back across the opening once more. And not till it had slipped into place with a little click did he turn upon Dollops. "'Merriton Towers!' he ejaculated finally. "'Merriton Towers! Now, if young Merriton really is a party to this thing that is going on down here in the bowels of the earth, why, dash it, it's going to prove an even worse case against him than we knew. A chap who plays an underhanded game like this doesn't mind what he walks over to attain his ends. But Merriton Towers! He stopped speaking suddenly sucked in his breath, his face turned very grim. Dollops broke the silence that fell, a tremor of excitement in his low-pitched voice. "'Yes, but it's the back kitchen, sir,' he threw out eagerly, like all the rest of them anxious, if possible, to shield the man who seemed to have won so many hearts. "'And the back kitchen don't spell Sir Nigel, sir,' "'It's Borkins what's at the bottom of that, and—' "'Maybe, maybe,' interposed Cleek a trifle hastily, "'but the grim look did not leave his face. "'But if anything as curious as all this affair turns up in the evidence, "'it won't help the boy any, that's a certainty. "'Meriton Towers!' "'He swung upon his heel and quickly retraced his steps.' until the little stone passageway was left behind them, and a few feet ahead loomed up another of those queer turnings, which led, 
who knew where. "'We'll take it on chance,' said Cleek, as they paused while he marked it in his chart, "'and follow our noses. But I confess I've had a shock. I never thought, never even dreamt, of Merriton Towers being connected with this smuggling or whatever it is, Dollops.' "'and if I hadn't been down in that very kitchen "'upon a voyage of discovery the other day, "'I'd have had more reason to disbelieve the evidence of my own eyes. "'The light was on, too. "'Lucky for us we didn't pop our heads up "'at the moment when somebody was there. "'But then the servants are all gone. "'Borkins is keeping the house open until after the trial. "'So it was Borkins who was using that light. "'That's pretty obvious.' "'and our necks have been spared by an inch or two less than I had imagined. "'We must hurry. Time's short, and there's a good deal to be got through this night, I can tell you.' "'Yes, sir,' said Dollops, not knowing what else to say, "'for Cleek was keeping up a sort of running monologue of his ideas of the case. "'Don't think much of this here passage, anyway, do you?' "'No, narrower than the rest.' "'but it may end just where we want to go. "'Journeys end in lovers' meetings, the poet sings, "'but not this kind of a journey, no, not exactly. "'We'll find the hangman's rope at the end of this riddle, Dollops, "'or I'm very much mistaken, "'and I've an uncomfortable idea as to who will swing in the noose.' "'For some time after that they pressed on in silence.' Here and there along the passage the walls opened out suddenly into little cut-out places, filled as ever with their built-up sacks. Each time Cleek passed them he chuckled aloud, and then once more his face would become grim. For some moments they groped along in the gloom, their heads bent to prevent them bumping the low mud ceiling, their lips silent, but in the hearts of each a sort of dull dread. Merriton Towers. Borkins, perhaps. But what if Borkins and Merriton had been working hand in glove, and then somehow or other had had a split? That would account for a good deal, and in particular the man's attitude towards his master. Cleek's brain ran on ahead of his feet. His brows drew themselves into a knot, his mouth was like a thin line of crimson in the granite-like mask of his face. Of a sudden he stopped and pointed ahead of him. Still another flight of stairs met their eyes, but they were of newer, more recent make, and composed of common deal, unvarnished and mud-stained with the marks of many feet up and down their surface. Cleek drew a deep breath, and his face relaxed. "'The end of the journey, Dollops,' he said softly. Then, without more ado, he mounted the stairs, and laid his shoulder to the heavy door. End of chapter 25